Well, what a day of celebration this is this morning uh, across all of our Southridge locations, especially considering that we have six people uh, in our Welland location who have decided to take the step of expressing their faith in Christ in baptism. What a, a, a party-like atmosphere. And uh, just speaking specifically to those of you uh, in Welland who are getting baptized today, congratulations, way to go, way to go Welland, and uh, thank you. Uh, for allowing us across all of our locations to participate in your party today. We really appreciate you including us and giving us a chance to join in. You know, we as uh, leaders anticipated that this particular morning would be a party-like atmosphere. Um, not predicting, though, that there would be six baptisms in, in one of our locations. We, we, we were anticipating for months, though, that this would be a big morning uh, just because it is the final concluding morning, not only of this last word series, but of our entire journey in studying Jesus' most famous sermon known as the Sermon on the Mount, recorded from chapter 5 through chapter 7 in the biblical biography of Jesus written by a guy named Matthew. We have been, for the better part of over a year, deep diving intensively, thought by thought and passage by passage, into the depths of this vision of a different way of life, what we refer to as a kingdom way of life, a life lived as a citizen of God's kingdom where God is allowed to be king and have just been compelled by that. I, I, I kind of feel like uh, I should pause and just, you know, give Mike Krause a bit of uh, public commendation and credit for the, the load that he's carried uh, in the teaching burden of this past year, particularly in these uh, different series working through the Sermon on the Mount. I know that as a fellow church leader, uh, I have heard countless stories of just significant transformation as people have been gripped in a clearer or fresh way with the heart and vision of Jesus for what a life of following him really was intended to be all about. You know, very different than what they may have learned growing up outside of the church or even in the church through typical religious ideals. And uh, I know even personally as a follower of Christ uh, to sit under a lot of that teaching, uh, I certainly have been stretched and grown and reshaped in my own understanding and vision of the life of following Jesus in a fully devoted way that I'm aspiring to. So... Uh, I'm grateful for that and definitely feel the pressure to deliver this morning. Someone uh, at Glenridge said to me last Sunday that I better, you know, come and bring it because this is the final morning of what has been just an incredible year. And they're kind of, uh, they're kind of expecting me to, to go out with a bang. And so it, it, it made me wonder, you know, considering these are Jesus' last words in this most famous sermon that he ever preached, you know, how did Jesus go out with a bang? What did Jesus feel like was the single most significant way that he could conclude this most epic conversation? You know, what, what single thought did he most want to impress on his hearers? What single idea did he most want to leave as a legacy for those hearers, you know, 2,000 years ago and even for us today? And I thought that's really the question that we're going to dig into today as we try to unpack Jesus' last words amidst his last words. So if you brought a Bible along or if you have a Bible app uh, on your portable device, turn there and follow along with us. Uh, beginning in Matthew chapter 7, 
we're going to start looking uh, at verse 13, where in this whole section that we're going to study today, what we're going to realize, I'll just throw it out at the front end, what we're going to realize is that Jesus boils down this entire sermon in these last words to this one concluding big idea oriented around the single word of choice. That's what Jesus is camping out on today in the last of his last words. Verse 13 of Matthew 7 says this. Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Jesus starts this final descent in his Sermon on the Mount with a a bit of an image. An image that actually contains two elements to it. The first element uh, is this image of a gate or of gates. And I don't know about you, but uh, at my home, we've got a chain link fence in the backyard that's got about a two and a half foot wide gate in the the back that leads into further uh, extended backyard. And uh, when I think about a gate, that's what I think about. And I've actually got to get my head out of that because Jesus in his day and age would have had a very different picture. Remember, you know, in ancient times, you know, cities were often walled and gates represented the massive kind of front doors to, you know, huge areas. They were, they were kind of the only way you could get in and out of places. And so when you're thinking of gates, don't think about a little gate on a, on a fence in your backyard. Think about, you know, the doors to a, a big construction compound. Or, or think about the gates at the Canada-U.S. border. You know, something very significant. Something that, that kind of restricts your entrance and, and exit into another place. Which leads us to the other piece of this image that Jesus starts off with here. Not just the idea of gates, but the idea of roads. That each of these gates, when you open it and enter through it, it leads you onto a road. Which implies not just a one-time you know, movement through the gate, but an ongoing journey towards a destination. That's the image that Jesus is setting up here. An image of gates that lead to roads that ultimately lead to destinations. And he says that there are, there are two different kinds of gate-road combinations. He said one of them is what he calls the uh, narrow gate that leads to the narrow road. He says by, by implication, the idea of it being narrow probably means that it's difficult to enter. There's some arduous work involved in traveling that more narrow road. He says it's a, it's a lot less popular. It's a lot lonelier. It's, you know, literally the road less traveled. But he says this narrow gate that leads to the narrow road leads to what he calls life. Not sure if he's talking about eternal life once you're dead or a vibrant quality of life when you're alive. Personally, I think that he's referring to both. But he says that the narrow gate leading to the narrow road leads to life. And then at the same time, he introduces another gate road combination. This one he calls the wide gate leading to the wide road. And by wide, he's talking about appealing, you know, attractive, prominent, desirable. He talks about this gate and road combination being easier, being lighter, more convenient to travel. And he talks about it being very popular, you know, really kind of flowing with the cultural norms of your day, the the mass populace. You'll see a lot of people 
on this road going through that gate. But he says the wide gate that leads to the wide road actually leads to, he calls it, destruction. Some translations say utter ruin. And so while one gate-road combination leads to life, the other gate-road combination leads to the destruction or ruin of it. And in these two images of gates and roads, what Jesus is doing is pitting two very distinct, diverse alternatives. And I hope that we can pick that up in our day and age because in our GPS culture, we kind of live with this mentality now that you can get anywhere from anywhere. All roads can eventually lead to somewhere. And we don't really appreciate the singularity of gates that lead to roads that, leads, that lead to destinations that would have been more real in the experience of people in Jesus' day. And so understand that in Jesus' context, he's pitting you know, alternatives. There's no gray here. It's literally one or the other. And you can't kind of straddle or choose both gates. You can't kind of dabble in both roads and experience the upsides of both destinations. Not that there are upsides in the one. He's saying it's one or the other. There's a narrow gate leading to a narrow road leading to life or a wide gate leading to a wide road leading to destruction or the ruin of it. And in this image, what Jesus is setting up is the dynamic or the contrast of choice. And what he's saying at the end of this entire sermon, having talked about heart attitudes that honor God and that God blesses, having talked about a contrasting way of life of the kingdom, where you've heard it said that the world works one way, but Jesus said to us that things in the kingdom of God work very different. And an entire sermon where he taught us how to pray and how to live in a way that God would actually answer and deliver those prayers in a way of life. He's saying that time and time again, the bottom line is that people who are going to follow Jesus have a choice. And not a gray choice, a, a, a stark, contrasted choice between the gates they will go through and the roads that they will go on for the destinies and the futures that they will experience. It's one or the other, narrow or wide, according to Jesus. Now, at some level, if you've been around here for this past year, that shouldn't surprise you because it feels like every day when we've been studying the Sermon on the Mount, we've been confront confronted with some kind of choice. But I want us to appreciate that what Jesus is doing, more than even just encouraging or challenging people to choose the narrow road and the narrow, go through the narrow gate instead of the wide gate that leads to the wide road, he's actually creating the image and the, the, the paradigm of stark contrasted choice and at the end 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 of the day he's boiling down a life of faith to its most irreducible dynamic the dynamic of choice and we see this not just in the sermon on the mount we see this throughout the scriptures in the old testament the leader of god's people after moses was a guy named joshua he became famous for saying this to the israelites in joshua 24 15 he says choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve and as for me and my household we will serve the lord He's saying, choose for yourselves this day. Wake up, get out of bed, and make a choice, people. And in a lot of ways, that's what Jesus is saying. Not just in a one-time way, which would be represented by going through the narrow gate, but in an ongoing way, step by step by step, traveling down the narrow 
road. It's one choice to get in or to get onto the road. And then it's a sequence of the same choice repeated again and again. And we see that in the New Testament after the life of Jesus uh, taught by the Apostle Paul in places like Colossians chapter 2. He says there, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, just as you made the choice to accept Christ, he says, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. He's saying in the same way that you made that first choice to allow Jesus to, begin to, to be your forgiver and leader, continue to make that same choice again and again and again, step after step after step after step. It's the same thing repeated again and again. It is a choice and a stark one at that. So says Jesus. And so he's not only challenging his hearers to choose the narrow gate and the narrow road instead of the wide gate and the wide road. He's challenging his hearers more than that to make a choice. Reminds me of one of my university track coaches, a guy named Andy Higgins, whose preseason speech to all the student athletes was titled every year. It's titled Choose to Choose. Be conscious of the choice in front of you because as he said and as many people have said since then, not making a choice is in fact also making a choice. You may not even consciously think that you're making a choice, but you're making one. And Jesus is teaching that today and saying, choose to choose like Joshua, this day whom you will serve. And saying, choose to choose specifically, entering through the narrow gate and journeying along the narrow road that leads to life instead of entering the wide gate, cruising down the wide road that leads to the ruin of it. That's the image that Jesus decides to land the plane on in these last words of his most famous sermon. And actually for the rest of the passage, he goes on to develop in uh, even more practical ways the specifics of what he understands the, the ingredients of the choice that is to be made if a person is going to choose the narrow gate and narrow road instead of the wide gate and wide road. He actually boils that down to some very practical behaviors. And the first is the choice of who it is you will listen to or who it is you will allow to influence your life. He says in verse 15 of Matthew 7, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, he says, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. A bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Jesus first kind of feature of the choice that he's trying to get people to make, to choose the narrow gate, the narrow road, is to watch out, he says, for false prophets. A prophet in Jesus' day, a prophet in our day, is, is literally a person who speaks on God's behalf. A person who is representing God in what they say. And you might think that that's a real religious uh, kind of title. It, it, it's not. To, to, to behave like a prophet is simply to authenticate the advice you're providing or the direction that you're setting or the wisdom that you're sharing to authenticate it with the authority of God, to say that God is in to what I'm saying to you. So anytime someone says, well, you know, God would agree with such and such or, oh, I'm sure God doesn't care if you, in a sense, they're behaving 
like a, a prophet. They're speaking, in some sense, on behalf of God. And so a false prophet, as Jesus is warning to stay against, a false prophet is simply someone who's speaking on behalf of God, but isn't actually representing God's vision, God's truth, God's heart. They're saying something authenticating or authorizing that that's from God, when in fact it's not. So they're false. They're actually wrong. They're just, you know, communicating on behalf of God incorrectly or inaccurately. And he says, you'll know those people over time, especially by looking at their lives. You'll be able to see if their lives line up to the heart of God, to the vision that he has outlined in his written word in the scriptures, to the heart modeled by Jesus and taught by Jesus in passages like what we've studied this past year. You'll be able to tell, you know, based on the fruit of their lives. And that's how you're to watch out for these false prophets by looking at their lives. What I want us to appreciate today, though, is that these voices exist, you know, way beyond just church or religious settings. Prophets today can exist, you know, on talk shows and in newspaper columns, you know, on blogs or, you know, as Facebook statuses. They can be grandparents, spouses, you know, friends, family members, co-workers, managers. They can be teammates or coaches, you know, professors, teachers. You know, people can, from all over the place, can provide influence and can actually encourage that influence, presuming or suggesting that that's in a Godward direction. But it doesn't necessarily mean that it's God's heart or that it's God's vision. And Jesus says to watch out for that, specifically to be careful that the voices in your life are in fact God's voices. That you're giving yourself the opportunity, not just to hear from God's word directly in the scriptures, but indirectly through people who are going to speak on his behalf. Who are going to share his truth and share his heart and share his vision and direction for your life. Be careful about that is one of the aspects of what Jesus is encouraging people to choose. Choose the voices whom you're going to listen to, is what he's saying. And then, in addition to that, he breaks down this idea of choice, not just to choose the voices that you're going to listen to, but to actually choose to do more than just listen. That's the other feature of the kind of choice that Jesus is really talking about today. In verse 21 of Matthew 7, he says, Not everyone... Who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evil doers. Sounds kind of harsh there. So we got to unpack this a little bit. Two times in this little section of text. Jesus refers to people who would refer to him as Lord, Lord. And we've got to understand that in Jesus' day, the term Lord uh, actually had kind of two reference points. On the one hand, the word Lord was uh, kind of a title of respect or courtesy. It was like using manners, referring to someone like sir or ma'am. You'd refer to someone as Lord. At the same time, the word Lord uh, had a more literal term, uh, meaning master, and it referred to a function that certain people played who ruled over other people, who had influence or authority over them and had, in that sense, control over them. And what Jesus is saying at the, is that at the end of people's lives, he's going to have a conversation with them and some of them are going to refer to him as Lord, Lord. 
But in the way that they lived, they never really referred to him. They never really treated him as a master, as a leader, as an authority. And even though they dabbled, Jesus said, in some religious or faith things, they never really did what he actually instructed them to do. They never really listened to his word and implemented it or obeyed it. Jesus was never really their Lord. And so even though they call him Lord, they're just kind of treating him as a title and not as a function. And what Jesus say, is saying is that there's more to just exposing yourself to his words. He says to avoid evil doing is to actually do the good things that he's teaching you to do. To implement or to obey the things that he says. Now that doesn't mean that people make themselves right with God through the way that we live. That's called salvation through works. The Bible doesn't teach that. Jesus didn't teach that. The scriptures are clear and the teachings of Jesus are clear that we can only be made right with God through the saving work of Christ by his grace through our faith. We're saved by our faith in what Christ has done, not through our works. And so this might be confusing you. Let's look at what James says further along in the New Testament to help make sense of this. When he says faith by itself, James 2, he says faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, it's dead. And as a body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. That's what Jesus is talking about in treating him as Lord. He's not talking about saving yourself or making yourself right with God according to your works. He's talking about having a faith in him that is real, that's alive, that trusts him enough to obey him and allow him to be an authentic, legitimate Lord and leader of your life. And so in addition to the choice that Jesus is talking about, the choice of entering the narrow gate, the choice of journeying down the narrow road, that includes the choice of who it is that you're going to position yourself around and allow to be your influence. The other feature of that is whether or not you will allow Jesus to be an integrity influence and actually do what he says. To exercise a faith that is alive, that is authentic, that is real, not one that is dead and useless. And those two ideas of positioning yourself closer to Jesus' voice, trying to hear his words... And trying to actually do what he says. To actually obey him and put those words into practice. That two-step is the essence of the choice that Jesus is ultimately talking about today. In these final, final words. Which is why he concludes that way in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 24. He says there, therefore. When Jesus says therefore, you know he's wrapping things up. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine. And puts them into practice. Everyone who hears these words of mine. And puts them into practice. Is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down. The streams rose. And the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall. Because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine. And does not put them into practice. Is like a foolish man. Who built his house on sand. And the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. We find ourselves at the end of this final thought in these last, last words, where Jesus ends where he first began. By describing a choice that describes a journey that leads to a destiny. Only 
through a slightly different image than the image of the gates and the roads. This time he talks about two builders. You know, again, in a kind of journey sort of framework, looking at our lives as something we build through the course of our lives. And he says that these two features of the choice that he's clarifying for people, the choice of hearing his words and allowing his prophets, speakers on his behalf, to get our ear, and then putting them into practice, not just treating them as a title, but treating them as a functional Lord and leader of our lives. You know, hearing his words and putting it into practice, that's like building your life on a certain kind of foundation. That choice, or those two aspects of that choice, they're the foundation on which we build our lives. And depending on how we make those specific choices, we're either building our lives on sand, something utterly unstable that cannot stand the test of time. It's ripe for disaster. It leads to ruin, as Jesus said earlier with the gate and the roads. Or, he said, we can be the kind of people who position ourselves to hear from him in an integrity way. And then, in an integrity way, we can actually put his words into practice. That's like building your life on rock. It's solid. It's sturdy. It stands the test of time. Again, not just at the end of our lives, you know, when we're facing Jesus face to face. But even in this world, even under the pressures and stresses of our lives day to day, you know, soaring and tanking economies and relational strife and circumstances and tragedy and everything that the stuff of the, that's standard to the stuff of life that life throws at us. Jesus says, the kind of people who are going to experience the wonder of this Sermon on the Mount, never mind the kind of people who are going to experience the wonder of a life with him, are people who enter the narrow gate, go down the narrow road by making the kind of choice that hears his word and puts it into practice and builds their life on solid rock. That's the choice Jesus is inviting people into today. And again, uh, it shouldn't surprise us because that two-step of exposing ourselves to what God would think or want and then actually doing it, those building blocks of that choice, we see that all over scripture. In fact, in another biography of Jesus, in Luke chapter eight, Jesus says there, my mother and my brothers, you know, my family, my, those who really identify with me, my peeps. He says, who are they? They're those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Hear God's word and put it into practice. Here's, hear God's word and put it into practice. And if we want to be people that are living out the hard attitudes of God, we want to be people who are living out this countercultural kingdom way of life, and want to be people in whom God answers prayers, leading us into a wonderful way of life, we simply and clearly and repeatedly have to make one choice. The choice to live out that two-step of hear God's word and put it into practice. Hear God's word and put it into practice. So this morning, I thought maybe we'd call a quick time out and reflect on the degree to which we're actually doing that today. Take a quick audit. Maybe in your mini mag, you can kind of make some notes on this. Maybe you can just reflect and save this for a conversation with your life group this week or with some close friends or family members. Are you making the kind of narrow gate, narrow road choices that hear God's word and put it into practice and build your life on solid rock? You know, think about it for those of us, you know, young people, singles in the room. Are we hearing God's word and putting it into practice 
when it comes to the kind of person that we ought to choose to date or as a life partner? Or are we making those kind of choices when it comes to our sexuality and our purity? Because there are some really clear things that God teaches on those kinds of subjects. And the question really is, are we exposing ourselves to that kind of teaching and to those sorts of voices and then doing what God says? Are we hearing God's word and putting it into practice? Or have we allowed other voices to convince us to coast down the wide road that ultimately leads to destruction? Which is it? How about those of us who are married? And we think about some of the teachings of Jesus just in the Sermon on the Mount. Are we controlling our lusts, both men and women? Are we fighting for you know, the, the, the sanctity, the holiness of marriage as opposed to drifting towards divorce? Are we quick to resolve conflict? Are we quick to turn the other cheek? Are we quick to offer forgiveness in the same way that we want to be forgiven? Or... You know, are we allowing other voices to sympathize with our struggles in marriage, especially in times that are hard and to, to kind of convince us that the grass is actually greener on another side of the fence and to draw us away from the commitment we once made with our spouse instead of toward it? Are we allowing ourselves, are we making the conscious choice to expose ourselves to hear God's word and then making the conscious choice to put it into practice? Or are we choosing the, the wide road? that leads to destruction. Stop and think about it in our workplaces. You know, those of us who get out of bed and have jobs. Um, have we bought into a 21st century North American society's definition of success? Are we taking the wide road on that? Climbing the corporate ladder and putting in as much overtime as we can to make as much money and keep up with the Joneses and acquire stuff and you know, get the certain postal code or have the kids in certain schools or, you know, whatever is status and prominence and power and position. Are we pursuing those kinds of things? Or are we simply using the opportunity that God gives us to make a living, to pursue a, a lifestyle standard of enough in order to raise other people's experience of enough? And are we using the resources that God entrusts to us through our jobs to be sacrificial and generous and to bless others liberally in the way that God's blessed us? And are we getting out of bed every day, you know, working for the weekend? Or, or are we getting out of bed every day and giving the very best of our one and only lives to what really matters most in this world? The eternal cause of difference making of Jesus Christ in the lives of other people. You know, we can ask some real hard questions, but they're real clear, aren't they? Are we exposing ourselves to environments where we hear God's word and then put it into practice and build our lives on solid rock instead of sand, choosing the rarer and harder, narrower gate and narrower road, but that ultimately lead to life? Or are we just you know, maybe consciously not even choosing to choose and allowing ourselves to drift down the wide road, building our lives and house on sand that leads to destruction. You know, years ago, if I was preaching this message, I'd probably wrap up in prayer right now. But being into this church leadership thing now for almost 17 years, I, I got to spend a few more moments. Because at this point in my leadership journey, I, I've now seen enough 
to understand why Jesus landed the plane with this very idea. Why Jesus felt like this was the most significant way he could conclude this most significant message. In fact, with many of the experiences I have, I can almost hear in Jesus' voice, not a, you know, enter through the narrow gate and go down the narrow road. I hear a pleading in Jesus' heart. I hear a pleading in Jesus' voice because of how much he knows the battlefield is along the lines of this one choice. And I got to tell you, over the years, it breaks my heart when I get involved in, you know, marital breakups and family fiascos and economic disasters and, you know, all kinds of personal and family challenges that time and time and time and time again, when you peel it back, you can boil it back to one or two of those two aspects of the two-step of the choice that Jesus is confronting us with today. People allowed other people than the integrity word of God to be the primary voice in their life. And even when they did, even when they had family or friends or a life group or whatever that was speaking like true prophets into their lives, they ignored them and refused and didn't bother to actually do what they said. And they end up in a life, never mind a destiny, that leads to destruction. I've seen it again and again and again. And you contrast that with now, you know, Almost 17 years of seeing lives that are solid, lives that are thriving. People, families, marriages, parents, workplaces, churches. And you can boil that back in the same way to people who desperately want to hear God's word and desperately want to put it into practice. And most of those times, they're not going to take any credit for it. Because people who make that choice understand that all that they've done in making that two-step choice, is they've simply opened the two valves in the hearts and lives of humans that God needs to work. So that by hearing God's word and exposing themselves to God's vision and then putting them into practice, they're opening their life and heart up for God's supernatural activity to take over. And his resurrection power to not just live in them, but pervade through them and supernaturally transform them into the people that God always intends them to be. And this morning we get to celebrate with six of those kinds of lives, people who want to stand up and be counted as making that kind of choice to build that kind of life. And I hope that you're inspired by that. I hope that you're encouraged to join with me and be a narrow gate, narrow road kind of community for them. Because it's lonely out there trying to journey down that road yourself. But together we can give each other company and encouragement and strength along that journey as we choose to choose. Because not choosing is also making a choice. But as we choose to choose to fully follow Jesus, to hear his word, to put it into practice, to live out all of that vision and heart that we've studied this past year, to be the people and church and society that God wants us to be as he's able to live that life through us by choosing the narrow gate and the narrow road that leads to that kind of life. Let's pray together. God in heaven, I want to thank you, uh, not just for this morning, but for this past year and the incredible adventure that we could have studying through Jesus' most famous sermon. Thanks for your faithfulness through it. 
to consistently reveal the choice in front of us. And especially this morning, God, for making so blindingly clear the starkness of the gates and the roads that we have in front of us. The starkness of the foundations that we can build the houses of our lives on. And God, I pray for every single one of us today. I pray for those of us who don't yet know you, who've never made the choice to consider you or follow you, that we would consider and ultimately make that choice today. And then God, for those just as we've received you, I pray that we would make that choice again and again and again, moment by moment by moment, step by step by step, faithfully to choose that narrow gate and narrow road and build our lives on the solid rock of Christ, knowing that when we do, we find you faithful, we find ourselves not alone. We find ourselves wrapped around with the arms of your love, as well as communities like this that can celebrate amazing moments like the baptism that we get to joy, enjoy as a community in Welland today. Bless those participants. Bless them in the courageous choice that they're declaring and impart some of that courage on each of us right here, right now. We pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.